Simon Wilson, senior writer for The Herald, covers a lot of Auckland politics, of course, and he's been relatively critical of the mayoral race frontrunner Wayne Brown, raising questions about the feasibility of his policies, whether or not he's fit for office, and uh, part of the evidence that he's sort of brought up there is, you know, his abrasive style and this rich array of investigations that he prompted during his tenure as Mayor of the Far North. And Brown has responded to the criticism of his abrasive style and very abrasive style. And uh, that really came to a head last week when News Hub filmed him saying this. That prick Simon Wilson dug it out. You know, and I mean, he's been at me for all year long. And the first thing I do when I get to the mayor, I'll be, they'll be gluing little pictures of him on all the urinals so I can pee on him. <laughs> well, that seems the kind of thing you probably wouldn't want to say on the record if you're running for office, but, but maybe he would. Traditionally, I don't think that, that is sort of the desired uh, quote that you want to put out there. And actually, Wayne Brown didn't want to put that out there. That's the thing. He didn't think that he was on the record then. So he thought the interview wasn't going, his comments wouldn't be reported, and he said that actually to News Hub Nation where those uh, comments were played. And this is how he said that and News Hub's Rebecca Wright responded. I didn't expect those to be covered, but well, yeah, that, right, I didn't I mean wanna, to be... I, wanna, I think that's an important point because we were doing an interview, a news interview, the cameras were rolling, you were mic'd up, and that was very obvious at the time. So I think that these oh, well, I comments thought we, I thought in the, finished, are in the public matter. interest. Do you buy that? Uh, should that have been shown on TV if, if, Brain, if Wayne Brown didn't know that he was on the record? Yeah, I find what Rebecca Wright there said pretty compelling. I mean... If you're equipped with a radio mic and there's a camera trained on your face and you've just done an interview, it really feels best to assume that you're on the record there. And I guess my general take with journalists and whether or not a public figure is on the record is if you've identified it yourself, they know who you are, you've made it clear that you are there doing your job, you know, then they can report their interactions, particularly if it's a public figure running for office. You know, there is a real degree of accountability there. There's real public interest in what they're saying. So I'd say in this case, News Hub's actually gone beyond that, right? They've actually literally attached a radio microphone to the man's clothing. So... But can I just say that I'd have to say that that you are never, ever off the record. Yeah. In my experience, you know, that's an old-fashioned thing to think that you are off the record because you never are, and nobody ever lives by that anyway. You could say, am I off the record? And they might say, yes, and you're not. Yeah, and I've had comments, I've actually, full disclosure, written on this myself for the spin-off, I've had comments along those lines from people saying, you know, best advice, always assume that you're on the record. I I think that there is room, though, for people to trust journalists with confidential information. They should just definitely make it clear that they are speaking confidentially or off the record before. I don't. And get agreement to that before they they go on. I don't agree. I I don't agree. Can I, quickly, Sandy's just said, uh, I saw Brown make that comment and it was said in good humour and not malicious at all. Yeah, I mean, you can hear him laughing there. I think that it probably was a joke. I just think, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about exactly what <laughs> I think about that. It is a pretty off-colour joke, and it's sort of in line with this sort of slightly threatening way that he sometimes makes these jokes. Uh, okay, so it's the tone as well. And Sandy goes on to say, silly journalist Rebecca, News Hub, and others have turned it into a media beat-up. Pathetic. I'd vote for Brown to support him after that if okay. in Auckland. All right.
Well, maybe he's winning votes out of this. So do you think that it was um, seems more like extreme sort of animosity between a politician and the media? Yeah, I mean, even if it's in jest, it's pretty extreme rhetoric or rhetoric, sorry, uh, by a politician that we don't usually see here, right? You have Donald Trump in the United States saying journalists are the enemy of the people or whatever. We don't really have that kind of thing here. We've got this pretty congenial relationship generally between the media and the politicians and an, I think, and an understanding of what job that they're doing. You know, there's tension, but it's not this kind of, uh, I guess, insulting rhetoric that gets yeah. Oh, Muldoon, uh, Winston Peters. I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was alive for Winston Peters, but yeah, you're right. There are there are pockets of it, but I think even Winston Peters is playing a bit of a role. Anyway, I think that it is pretty extreme, and it has provoked a bit of a condemnation from people like NZME's managing editor Shane Curry. He said he's not really interested in commenting on Brown's pathetic remarks, which I would probably count as commenting on Brown's remarks. You did call him pathetic. Anyway, he also backed Wilson saying he's a highly skilled journalist that brings required scrutiny to the policies and character of the mayoral candidates. I've got a, uh, a, a, a text here that says Simon Wilson's not a journo. He's an op-ed writer, a good one, but he's put himself in the middle of the campaign with partisan opinion. So he's fair game. Yeah, and... It's an interesting one. He is a columnist, and so he can speak in probably harsher terms than maybe a reporter would. And I do understand why maybe this arrangement can seem pretty galling to people, that journalists are sort of allowed a free hit, you know. We're not the most popular people. I'm sorry if there are journalists uh, listening, uh, but lots of our audience, they don't recognise this kind of journalistic exemption when it comes to cut-and-thrust debate. And they think, you know, if a journalist is criticising someone, like you say, then they should be able to hit back as hard as they like, fear's fear, all that sort of stuff. They don't understand or sort of maybe care about the, the nuances of what we're taught in journalism school about the journalist's role in democracy. And you kind of saw that maybe in some of the heated response to some of the questions and stuff at the 1pm press conferences uh, over the last couple of years during COVID. But I think that Shane Curry is right. I mean... Whether you recognise it or not, it really is a requirement of Simon Wilson's job to scrutinise the mural race. He is a columnist, uh, so he, he will do it in harsh terms. And sometimes that's his job, to do it in tough terms if he really thinks there are questions. And there's a public accountability role there. And it is really important. I'm sorry if I'm sounding boring, but we're sometimes referred to as the fourth estate. And ideally, you know, someone like Simon Wilson should be able to hold the powerful to account without encountering these kind of crude or, or semi-threatening retorts, I think. And that's the argument Wilson himself made on RNZ's morning report earlier this week. Yeah, I was shocked, of course. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm doing my job. I, my job is to follow this election and to ask the questions um, about the candidates and uh, to test their fitness for office. That's my job. Um, and really, and you expect that people will understand that uh, in the process. Uh, not that you'll be thought of in that way. He did sound a little hurt there. Yeah, and even earlier than that, he sounded slightly more... I, I don't know, he, maybe he is a little bit hurt by this, and I, it's possibly just a little bit surprising or shocking to him that things got so personal. Maybe he didn't mean his coverage uh, to be taken as personally as that. And that doesn't mean... I want to stress that politicians can't respond, even very strongly, to media coverage and tough media co coverage. But... I just think that saying you'll put pictures of your critics on the 
urinals is pretty beyond the pale, even if it's done in jest. And at the least, I think we should expect our politicians to stick to the facts at hand. And I uh, just I think as a rule, toilets shouldn't really be mentioned unless you're talking about three waters or, or the Wellington streets, um, what's coming out of their drains. I, I mean, for one thing, I just think it distracts from the important stuff, and that's how Wilson put it on Morning Report. You know, this is not a contest between me and Wayne Brown. It's a contest now down to the wire between Officer Collins and Wayne Brown. Um, I'd hate to think that that focus was lost. Well, he's not the only journalist whose subject has been hitting back at him in a highly public way this week. That's that's true. Wilson's colleague at the Herald, Matt Nippett, is getting similarly, or probably even more heated pushback from the subject of one of his stories, Tefano or Waipadeda Chief Executive uh, John Tamahiri. So Nippet published a story last week saying that the charities regulator is looking into the fact that charities connected to Tamahiri supplied almost $500,000 in funds to finance his political campaigns for Auckland Mayor in 2019 and for Te Pāti Māori during the 2020 general election. And Tamahiri, he actually lost both races, but he's now serving as President of Te Pāti Māori. Uh, what's been the response from Mr Tamahiri? Yeah, it's been multi-pronged. I'm going to find it pretty difficult to summarise it entirely, but the main thrust of it has really been to just make these accusations of racism, that this is a racist attack. And according to the subscriber-based political news website Politic, Tamahiri compared the reporting uh, to a pogrom and a webcast to party members, to party Māori party members. So historically speaking, I mean, a pogrom is a violent riot begun with the intention of massacring or expelling a particular ethnic group, usually Jews. And I just, I mean, I think that's quite different to reporting that someone is being investigated for alleged breaches of the rules surrounding charities donating to political parties. Uh, Obviously, maybe he is speaking... uh, hyperbole there, but Tamahiri also said no party member or MP would now be interviewed by the Herald or News Talk ZB. They called those outlets white man's radio, racist radio and a racist rag, and he told members he would post photos of Shane Curry, Herald editor Murray Kirkness and Matt Nippet on Facebook so they could see them. Post and photos of what? Of those three people oh, on So fo- people knew what they looked like? Yeah, so you know what they look I don't know what you know, uh, I, 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 on Twitter as well, you had Tefano or Waipadeda sending what I thought was a really extraordinary tweet, to be honest, uh, for a registered charity. And it read, I'll quote, uh, Wow, we're working overtime on our messages. Many thanks to everyone busy sending us screenshots and background checks behind Matt Nippet and his racist twits. Blown away by the support. Have forwarded. Ngamihi. And then it's got a hashtag, uh, which is hashtag Dob and a racist like Matt Nippet. But because... Hashtags have to be all one word with no spaces. Spaces, it's quite hard to read. It kind of seems like Dobin a racist. Dobin a racist. Yeah, it's quite. It was. It's not. I don't. Hasn't caught on. Well, what's the evidence uh, from Tamahiri for this racism accusation? Well, this is what I am. I mean, because primarily it seems to be that Tamahiri sees the story as unfair. So, in a response to the Herald, he. he he said a lot about this being unfair, but he also confirmed its central point that Tefano or Waipadeta and the National Urban Māori Authority provided nearly $500,000 in funds for his political campaign. So he, he affirmed that was correct. And that would seem like a problem 
you know, given charities. Quite a big one. Yeah, has services. Well, I mean, has taken legal action against charities like Family First or, or Greenpeace when it's seen them as engaging in political actions. So, I mean, but I mean, Tamahiri's point is that declaring donations is considerably more ethical than some how some other political parties handled their donations, you know, you've seen how that happens. There's very murky uh, world of political donations, the, the way that they're obscured. Uh, political parties sometimes make questionable efforts to hide the origin of their funding. So in an, edit, in an email to Herald editor Murray Kirkness that he posted on the Watia News website, he says, white folk like you malign us for being honest. So he, he also took exception to the amount of time the Herald gave him to respond to the story. And what he saw is uh, the inference that he was acting improperly. So the strange thing that I find about all of this, and something I want to note, is that uh, to some extent it really does feel like history repeating. What do you mean by that? Well, back in 2013, Matt Nippet, then at Fairfax Media, now stuff, uh, ran stories about John Tamahedi's, and in that case, personal business dealings being funded by Tefano or Waipadeta. And John Tamahedi took exception to that. And so here's some audio of him talking about that reporting with his then co-host, who's now the Broadcasting Minister, Willie Jackson, on what was then their radio live show. I'm just over people um, giving me emails late at night uh, with a range of questions saying I've got a deadline at 10am tomorrow, I answer and I'm going to publish anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, don't, I don't like that standover. And furthermore, I don't like them sending around photographers to my house. So... Some of that might sound a bit familiar to what I'm just talking about, just as now he was pretty offended by the short deadline he was given by Matt Nippet. So the other complaint there about photos, that might remind you of what he's talking about with Facebook, uh, the other complaint about photographs, the Herald had, uh, the Fairfax Media has, had apparently then taken photos of him outside his house or taken photos near his house. And, and at the time... Uh, that, that, that escalated very sharply. So Tefano or Waipadeta, then the Waipadeta Trust, just put out a statement accusing Matt Nippet of pushing an agenda and being obsessed with its dealings. But the more remarkable thing was what accompanied that statement. And I went through the Media Watch archives and found one Colin Peacock talking about that. But what made the Waipadeta Trust's online statement really unusual was that it was accompanied by photographs of the Fairfax media business journalist in question, Matt Nippet, and his house and the street he lives on in Auckland. That's not quite shooting the messenger, but it's certainly letting him know they know where he lives. That's Colin Peacock back in 2013, now now my boss. Uh, At the time, actually, Colin didn't know who had commissioned those photos, and he mentioned that in the story, but... John Tamahiri, in this recent uh, flare-up with Matt Nippet, he has posted a bunch of emails on the Waitia News website, including one where he admits that it was him that commissioned those photos and sent photographers round to Nippet's house. Gee, uh, well, it again feels like someone chafing at what he sees as different standards being applied to the media than to him. Yeah, it's kind of like Wayne Brown, right, where, where you know, you can criticise me, but I can't criticise you. You can send photograph photographers around to my house, but I can't send them around to yours. Uh, I get that it would be tough to face media scrutiny, and sometimes it would feel intrusive, right? But there's this real difference, I think, again, between, like, tough media coverage, of someone and criticising like, and, and that kind of crude joke back, there's a real difference between being photographed by a media organisation for the express purpose of reporting, which is in the public interest, and then and sending uh, someone around to photograph a journalist uh, 
by for for no publication for the purpose of making a point because that latter one would definitely feel quite a lot more threatening. And I understand that Matt Nippet maybe did feel threatened at that time. So hopefully this time round of photos do get posted to Facebook. As per Tamahiri's promise, they're a bit less invasive. Hayden, the other central element to this story is that accusation of racism or of applying a Pākehā lens to a a Māori way of doing things. And uh, that's been something of a refrain in the media and politics recently. Yeah, that's kind of what Tamahiri is is accusing uh, NZME and Matt Nippet and the the, the Herald's editors of. And in his case, it's worth noting there's some rebuttal from people like uh, political commentator Bryce Edwards. He said, you know, to Pāti Māori, they have to be subject to the same rules and scrutiny as any other parties, particularly when it comes to something as fundamental to our democracy as campaign finance. And I, I want to note, you know, Tamahiri is directing his critique at Pākehā. It's different. And I'm Pākehā. <laughs> I'm not any kind of expert in Māori identity. I want to say that going forward. But I have noticed uh, this uh, kind of use of Māori identity also being used to shrug off criticism by Māori of Māori recently. It's become something of a theme in the media. So Labour's Calvin Davis accused ACT MP Karen Chow of seeing the world through what he called a vanilla lens when she questioned him about Oranga Tamariki uh, in Parliament, and Chow is Māori and has Ngāpuhi Whakapapa, and Davis actually later apologised for that. And we've had Willie Jackson as well. He called ACT leader David Seymour a man who claimed he was Māori. He also has in the past, in the quite distant past, criticised a few Māori journalists uh, for what he's seen as not presenting a strong Māori worldview in their roles. And that includes Mike McRoberts. Uh, Colin probably played you a clip of him being quite upset about that. And Muriyama Kamo. And these incidents have been criticised by a few journalists. I mean, first of all, I saw Stuff's Andrea Vance. He, she focused on actually how these tactics or how these flare-ups will hinder Labour in its election campaign, saying this is the wrong kind of anger to harness if they want to remain in government. Look, that always seems like the lens of the political journalist, seeing things through the uh, lens of political expediency and whether it's going to put people up or down. But I thought Muriyama Kamal herself, she had, a, she had a more compelling critique of the actual substance of the issue as well. Even if she didn't name who she was talking about in this monologue on Marai from last weekend's episode. So here's what she said. Attacking identity is the easiest, cheapest form of power lobbying. But it plays right into the colonizers' playbook where we end up fighting each other instead of the cause. It's of no value to any of us. It doesn't just attack mana and hurt feelings. It hurts our collective progress. So three very different conflicts here, but I'd, I'd if I had to draw them all together in a slightly neat bow, I think the message really seems to be the same, that it would be better for people to stick to the substance rather than attacking the person. Colonizer's playbook is an interesting phrase as well that she used there. Yeah, and that's uh, about, uh, I guess, Māori division, uh, someone like Calvin Davis, you know, questioning how Māori someone else is or something like that. I, it's a little bit different to John, John Tamahedi or, 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 or uh, Simon Wilson and Wayne Brown, but yeah. Steve texts to say, RNZ is giving time uh, telling us how journalists should be treated, ignoring the fact that their own journalist doesn't need to follow these rules when they're talking about politicians. I think journalism, journalists need to toughen up. That's what they expect of politicians. Surely it should work both ways. What an absolute joke from Steve. Thanks, Steve. No answer? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> refer, <laughs> refer to the above. I think refer to the, the above, yeah. yes. Journalist's role is to, you know, it's a role in democracy to level these kind of criticisms.
It's their job, as Simon Wilson says, and sometimes you do. Uh, they should be able to do their job without getting this kind of abuse back. I think they can be criticised strongly without this kind of having someone say that they're going to glue their face to the urinal. Was it? Was it? I didn't hear the words "glue their yeah, face." Well, glue the, <laughs> an image of their face to the urinal. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I was imagining that actually happening. Yeah, I, I should have actually said "picture." A picture. Thank you. All right. Do we Important have time? Important omitted word. Uh, time for a, a quick uh, whirlwind tour of some other bits of media news. Yeah, We've got a few minutes. Maybe just uh, that's right. You 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 never believe this, but there's been a controversy over TVNZ's new reality show, F Boy Island, and so. Uh, For the uninitiated, F-Boy Island, uh, you can guess what the F stands for, is a new reality show where a bunch of young people, they're put on an island and there's men and women. The women are tasked with figuring out which of the men are decent, upstanding gentlemen and which are the notorious F-Boys, known for their trademark move of having sex with a partner and then ceasing all contact. So, I mean, I know that you're already shocked, but this somehow immaculate, totally unproblematic concept has been marred by controversy. Uh, It turns out one of the contestants, Wade Moore, appeared in court last year charged with suffocating a woman, and TVNZ says he didn't reveal that fact despite being questioned, and it told media that it will review its vetting processes. This sort of thing's happened before, not in that arena, but within the television arena, hasn't it? Yeah, 2019. This is, is strangely... I mean, in 2019, Three's Married at First Sight... Uh, it actually paired up one of the contestants with someone who'd been charged with domestic abuse. So you'd think after that, in quite recent memory, you'd think that more stringent vetting would have been at the top of TVNZ's mind on this one. You would have thought so, but not. Well, I mean, they say that they have put these contestants through all this vetting and he did get questions about it. He, you know, they subject them to these criminal record, <laughs> reviews of their criminal record and that kind of stuff. But this is a show that's predicated on a certain portion of the contestants exhibiting at best inconsiderate sexual behaviour. They're F-boys. Yeah, exactly, which some commentators see as at least blurring the line with abuse. And so you've got a bit of a hard task on your hands vetting these people because you actually have to vet them for being bad enough to be F-boys, but you have to... F- you know, tread the line so that they're not actually horrible enough to have actually faced charges in court. Uh, it's uh, there's a there's a small window of people between. I mean, you you you're you're trying to find people that are bad or that have acted improperly in their sexual relationships, and then you're also so you're probably going to be more at risk of rock in a hard place. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it seems like maybe there's a problem with the concept in general.